I don't know if I'm ready to try the ayahuasca yet, though. That sounds rough. Shitting yourself. Just that's gonna that's gonna diminish the experience. I don't care how great. Not it is. shitting yourself. Somebody else shitting themselves. Next to you. you. Yeah. yeah. That's more getting like caught it. in a crossfire. Yeah. What was that? It was a shit spray. That's seventy-two in Da Nang. It sucked. Yeah. You ready? Sure. <laughs> Cultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again with the warrior poet himself, Aubrey Marcus, joining us to share his journey of knowledge. We'll explore the synergy between heaven and hell, tales of the eighth chakra, the situational nature of victory. And a gentle reminder that you need to drink some whiskey, grab your nuts, dance with a girl, be great at something, and remember that there's no reason to snarl if you are a dragon. And now, quietly awaiting my one-way ticket to Guantanamo, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, answering hopelessness with a defiant smile and a raised middle finger, Daniele Bolelli. Away we go. The music finishes, and Rich says, Welcome back, everybody, to one of the summer stockpile Drunken Taoist episodes, mysteriously coming from someplace in the past, into your ears in the future. May I introduce to you our our, our leader and, and, and beloved emissary of kindness, Daniele Bolelli. By the time you guys are listening, I'm on a beach in Italy, soaking in the sun. Nice. Diving into that giant swimming pool that is the Mediterranean Sea. And hopefully having a good time. But in order to make sure that you guys get podcasts all along, we have been stockpiling, recording a whole bunch in like May and June. So we are now in early June in this moment, but you guys will get this at the end of June, early July, something like that. But enough about numbers, dates, and other strange things. We have serious business to take care of today because we are going to have, and this is a really great conversation. I'm still like... It's half hour after we're done with our talk with Aubrey and we're still going back and forth with Rich saying, can you believe that? That was insanely good. I have, you know, not only what's going to be said, I dig the content very much, but the energy that this man puts out is just, there's something about him that's something real about the man. And I really, really dig. And we were both just saying he really feels wise beyond his years. Yeah. And, um, You know, it's the kind of cat that, like you said, I just, I'd love to hear what he has to say. And and I I really believe what he has to say Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, there's a level of integrity that comes out that I'm blown away by. But I'll try not to get too gay at the moment. Actually, I'm going to fail because I'm going to introduce the fact that our glorious sponsor, that's Sarah. I'm going to briefly mention how Chris O'Dell is truly a miracle worker. And uh, part of the, um, you know, Jesus turns water into wine, all of that. Chris O'Dell manages to get heterosexual guys ridiculously excited about bags because all the hemp gear he produces, the bags, computer bags, backpacks, the whole deal, 
Rich and I get all giddy talking about our bags and yours is so cool and it has this zip and he's like so that I think was step one yeah. now Aubrey's visit I think we're just going straight in some strange uh, gay dimension which again well at least we'll have good bags and some alpha brains so hey, it'll be okay why not new now, things to try Dr. Sarah as I'm fond of telling you fantastic it's great it's sturdy it's uh you can keep all your stuff in it Absolutely. you can move about without having to carry everything individually it's quite a concept and it's got awesome zippers and bags and stash places for a little bit of everything so if you are facing uh somebody and have your create your own religion book you can stash it in a pocket and make your way through customs without getting hassled hide it in definitely The only, my only warning about that to Sarah would be if you are really insanely attached about keeping a very macho heterosexual vibe, you might want to stay away because you may start going off about how awesome your bags are and, oh, this bag is so cool. Can you believe the new bag I got? Yeah, that's may mess with your style at that point. But And Chris, if you have a moment, it may be time for hemp guitar cases. Because we did I, learn guitar case equals more phone numbers from girls. Yeah, that's a plus. So that could kind of offset. Absolutely. <laughs> Now, thank you also to our, all, uh, our affiliate sponsor, Sure Design, which yet again, by chance by the way i'm not doing it is intentionally but every other time i'm recording i'm wearing a short design t-shirt it's the ethereal material and this time i don't know if Jimi hendrix people know about this but it is a styling <laughs> style or a a gentleman singer who bears a, a a considerable likeness to somebody who was known as Jimi hendrix yes uh, actually it looks like shirt. some guy named Leroy. so <laughs> i love this shirt i love this shirt i love this shirt yes her design t-shirts You guys check them out. Uh, and beside t-shirts, actually, he, he has um, yoga pants for women. He has a lot of other things that can be interesting. So check out the um, website. And as usual, we're going to put all the websites in the episode notes with pro um, discount codes that if you enter them, you get a discount from them for that's a Sarah for sure design. Kurakao chocolate. If you guys are in the market for chocolate, same drill. Uh, you'll have the website, discount codes. And, I mean, who's not in the market for chocolate, you freaks? Of course you're in the market for chocolate. That coconut one is pretty exceptional. Oh, man, all sort of stuff is dangerous. I get a little too into it, so it's... It, it actually makes me glad that it's expensive sometimes, because if it wasn't, I would be just downing it straight in vain, and I would just be shooting it up. It would be like... So, a little at a time, in that sense. Quality over quantity is not a bad idea in this case. But... Um, Speaking of, um, I was trying to make a segue about quality over quantity, but it really is, I don't know, my brain just shut down, so there isn't. Audible.com, if you guys want to check out audiobooks, um, you get your first month free, you decide to cancel, you're done. You just got your one audiobook for free and you never have to throw one cent for it. But if you decide to stick to it, it's about $15 a month. Once a month, you get an audiobook of your choice. There are tons of titles. If you're even thinking about it, just browse. Take a look at what they have out there. See there are a range of choices that they have, if it's enough for you, if there are enough good books that you dig or not. There's also much more than books, by the way. There's a lot of in, like kind of older, like political speeches, religion. There's all sort of other material beside books. So explore the website. Do your research to see if you dig it and if it can uh, keep you company during your lonely hours at the wheel of a car audible.com and again discount codes um, links are all in the episode notes if you guys need to order the drunken taoist t-shirts email me 
and I'll give you the breakdown of color, sizes, everything. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you to Daisy House Music for the always awesome soundtrack. Um, people have been insane. You guys have been amazing with the Amazon link. Just keep uh, buying stuff through Amazon. So many of you guys. I know it's a pain in the ass to have to go through our website first rather than just, you know, it's very easy to forget and just go straight to Amazon. But so many of you guys are doing that on a regular basis that we really, really appreciate it. So thank you for the effort. Please an, keep doing that. An awesome place to buy a copy of Create Your Own Religion if you haven't gotten and one yet. Quite a few people have done that and that doubles my royalty on the spot because literally what you get out of Amazon is exactly what I would get from the entire um, royalty proceedings. So wow. that's beautiful. I love that. And speaking of thank you, thank you for all the people who donated. Uh, there's, um, let's see, what do we have today? Those names I'm going to screw up. Fresh ones. Ah, I think I'm going to get through the first at least. Jessica Howard. Seems simple enough. Uh, Mark Boyd. Daniel O'Brien. Mark Raineri, Leanne Lowe, and um, Clarence Bailo. He actually asked us to um, mention the Misfortune Cookie podcast, as in Fortune Cookie, but not such good fortune. So Misfortune Cookie podcast. I actually recorded with him. He interviewed me on Skype uh, a couple of weeks ago, something like that. And uh, we had a really fun conversation. He's a really nice guy. And, uh, you know, there's no, he said, oh, don't worry about my name. Just mention the podcast. I'm like, I can actually do both. I'm not running out of seconds here. So thank you, Clarence. That was awesome. And thanks for the podcast. So if you guys want to check it out, I was there as a guest on one of the episodes. Then check out the other episodes too, if um, you dig what you're hearing. And uh, that takes care of the donation business. Any other business that we need to address before we get rolling? No emergencies. I just, um, first of all, Aubrey's interview is fantastic. And he talks about his first psychedelic trip. And a couple of weeks back, we talked about the Lakotas. And oddly enough, I have a, a little piece of something from a Lakota medicine man that has been on my bulletin board for over 20 years. And it just seems like it fits really nicely into what Aubrey said. So if you can tolerate my voice for, for a minute, I'd just like to share it. And uh, what Joe Flying Bee of the Lakota says is we have one chance. If you do good every day, you will go to the spirit world and see other good people on the other side. If not, you will not see them. There will be a scale in the spirit world. It's going to balance whatever you do. If you do a lot of good, it's going to weigh down the evil world. If it's the evil side is heavy, then you're dead. You're done. There's no chance for you. You're only breath traveling on the wind. In your life, you must have pity. There are many people on the streets nowadays. They ask if you spare them this much. If you give, if you have charity, good thinking, then you've done good. You don't have to worry that when they take it, they go to the liquor store. That is not you. You did already good. The answers to the meaning of life are inside you. And that's Joe Flying Bee of the Lakota. It seems uh, we're going to hear that sort of recurring theme today. It's going to show up again. It shows up over and over again. So Joe Flying Bee, if you're out there, thank you so much. Because that really is what life's all about, isn't it? Trying to do well by others. And if everybody could learn that, we'd have an awesome planet here. Indeed. And uh, speaking of awesome planet, here is a taste from a better universe of a good dialogue taking place there. Brought back, hijacked for you, stolen from the gods and brought back here. 
I'm gonna shut up because I'm gonna just keep going off and get giddy like a little girl, um, which I am at heart, so that's all good. But uh, that's it all. Let's get the interview going. Sweet. You may go to Italy now. Yay. Here we go. One more episode of the Drunken Taoist podcast. To joining us today, well, Rich as usual, and we have Mr. Aubrey Marcus. How's it going? Good, Good. man. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Uh, I just, well, we're talking about, we're doing a double. Today we're in a double duty podcast. We That's just right. did a quick one for his podcast, which is actually probably going to be released before this one. Uh, we're doing a podcast warm up, you know, just getting things loose a little bit, just scratching the surface. Yeah. So for you guys, make sure to check part two of our conversation in there. So, but uh, one thing that I brought up uh, at the beginning when we were talking was that the first time I heard uh, Aubrey speak, I was, it freaked me out. It was honestly this strange out of body experience because it was like listening to myself minus the Italian accent. So I was just like, (laughs) What the hell happened to my accent? Why am I speaking in that funny kind of English? And it's like, oh, because it's not me. It's somebody else saying stuff that's straight out of my DNA. What's going on here? Yeah, yeah, man, you freak me out a little. Exactly. I feel the same way. I'm reading your book and thinking, oh, great. I found the teleporter and I'm reading my future book that I've always wanted and hoped that I could read. Hope that I could write a book exactly like that. And it was all in my head. And it's it's been a really cool experience getting more familiar with your work and uh, yourself as well today. It's been a real pleasure. Something freaky going on here. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. There's some Different strange... parts of the world, you know, and it somehow yeah, yeah, yeah. ended up in a very similar space. Speaking of which, just five minutes before we started uh, recording right now, we are. I was just digging up some old writing to show him uh, some stuff that I wrote long, long ago. And naturally, I ran into something that brings up right in the title, the whole warrior poet idea. That's mm-hmm. exactly your spiel that you go on. And it was like crazy thing. But yeah, do tell about the whole warrior poet thing. You combine two things that clearly most people don't. You know, there's the intellectual sensitive uh, poetry loving aspect and there's the warrior the tough right. guy who Conan the Barbarian yeah you know, and like, people think people think you're only supposed to have one right and for me that just never really sat well you know I didn't buy into that right from the start I mean I always loved sports I loved hockey mm-hmm. hockey was my favorite sport you know I remember being an old LA Kings fan and we had this bruiser named Tiger Williams the joke was that he couldn't even skate he had to hold on to the side of the ring <laughs> but when he got a hold of your shirt and he started throwing right hands watch out he did not want to be on the other end of Tiger Williams fist you know and we'd get excited and pumped up and and then on the other side you know i right from the start i'd sit on my grandmother's knee and write stories and Mm -hmm. then as soon as i was good enough with the english language which came well you know came easy for me i started writing poetry and getting into that and um just kind of carried that tradition literally as a poet through but i noticed that at a certain time you know it was not cool to mm-hmm. write poetry you know right. the other the other kids would be like oh, what are you doing poetry oh come on you know and i was like why what what is i don't understand like i'll go out and beat you out on the basketball court <laughs> if you need to be reminded about who i am I mean, do we need, how many of these constant reminders do we need you know so then from there you know i just kind of kept that my whole life right. all the way through and and the warrior poet idea is just blossom from there basically as as you've written in your book as well you know 
tasting the pleasures of both extremes, you know, right. being able to feel fully in control and mastery of your own body and expressing it in a way in competition or however you want, but also going into the quiet moments, sitting on a mountain in meditation or writing a poem or dancing or doing all of these things that I feel like are birthright. And I, I think that's what the warrior poet is all about, is embracing both of those ideals. Why do you think it's so rare? Because, I mean, to you, obviously, came natural. It's like, why should I settle for anything less? I feel the same exact way. Yeah. Why do you think is a strange concept for most people? You know, well, we have to track the history of it, right? Because it wasn't always that way. Mm -hmm. You know, you go back even to the days of Socrates, and people think of him as the philosopher, right? right? Then you read an, a recounting from Alcibiades, and Socrates was a badass. You know, he would, I remember Alcibiades, there's a story of Alcibiades who lost his weapons, and the enemy line kind of consumed him, and out comes Socrates with his sword-cut beard and jumps in and shields him and fights off you know, the enemy until the line could come back and take him back. You don't really hear that many stories, but it's there in the history, you know, about all of the Greeks who were also warriors. Uh -huh. All of these poets, philosophers, they were warriors as well. And then you follow that through the Renaissance, where that idea was, you know, being able to handle yourself with a sword and with your wit. And, you know, the epitome of that would be, a, you know, the fictional character Cyrano de Bergerac is right. one of my favorite, you know, a true warrior poet. As well, and then, but somewhere along the way, I don't know when it happened, but that concept died, hmm. and I don't know. You know, we gotta send out a missing persons report. What the hell happened? Figure right. out what happened. Yeah. You know, at some point, it seems like all of masculine society got insecure. Hmm. You know, they got either homophobic and insecure. They didn't feel like they were man enough for something, right. so they had to squash all of the feminine side for for males. And similarly for females, you know, for a long history, they've been having their mm -hmm. masculine side kind of squashed. But that has a longer history than I yeah, think. Yeah, absolutely. Male. Which, when you think about it, is insane both ways. Because you, as yeah. you rightly point out, this is not just an issue of when you look at like patriarchy, for example, squashing mm -hmm. the strength aspect of women. That's obviously nasty. But by the same token, it does the same thing to men in the opposite direction, yep. where men are taught to squash the more sensitive, sweet, uh, in, in touch with one's emotion part of oneself. And is, it's psychotic because it's it reducing what you can be as a human being into something that's dictated by gender. And ultimately, it's a bad deal for both sides. You know, it's a particularly bad deal for women since they would lose out in the competition of uh, who gets the most power mm -hmm. in this thing. But even for men, it's like you end up being the shadow of the person you can be because you are just this yeah. freak who break a beer bottle on his head, burp, and just charges forward. And it's like, <laughs> well, that's nice and all, the strength and all, but what about the other if life, half? Yeah, if the that's, whole other half? Right, if that's yeah. all the life is, Jesus, that's so boring. And yeah. it, that's why, to me, it's strange that people today would still go by that. And that's why when you say something like warrior poet, sound like a paradox to most people, sound like it makes people take a double look and like, what? What are you talking about? How putting together things that don't go together? Yeah. Like, who said they don't go together? Right. And somebody did. And, you know, another funny thing, too, is I've always loved to dance, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not any particular amazing dancer. Mm -hmm. I'm not classically trained, but anything. But it's it's funny how there's pressure even for males not to dance. Mm -hmm. You know, there's songs glorifying, like, I don't dance. I just 
pull up my pants and sit in the corner or whatever, you know, like <laughs> right. you fold your arms and just kind of post up. Yep. Just, just let the music go happen around you, you know? What What the hell is that? I know. People have been dancing since the beginning of time. Even the roughest Siberian peasants to the tribe. Of course. Every culture across the world has had their dance. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we decided, no, nah. You know, that's not a manly thing to do. I know. What the hell is that? That's... You know, I just... It's really interesting where this macho, crazy idea kind of came in and took hold and why it happened. I don't know. I was hoping you'd have the answer for that, actually. No, it's a disaster because even on top of that, you've got this cult of celebrity that's going on now where, you know, being smart is no longer cool. Just sort of... The Kardashian syndrome of the world is sort of taken over, and it's a disaster. Yeah. We and are a culture that's in big trouble right now. And that's when you pick the crap, you know, where there's not even a good quality to go by. is fame for fame's sake. But even if you do pick a good quality, strength, sensitivity, gentleness, or assertiveness, you know, things that are necessary, but you pick one and one only, and that's what you're supposed to focus mm-hmm. on, that's not much better. You know, it's like... Who the fuck said that strength is a male characteristic? Why are women supposed to be weak? That's what weakness is what you want to teach in somebody or that uh, men are supposed to have uh, no feelings. It's like, that's just weird to me. And and I think in some ways people, I don't know if that's a working theory on this, but I think people like simplicity to the point of oversimplicity, mm-hmm. where it's like, if uh, if you have all these random qualities inside of yourself, there's um, it's chaotic in a way because you'd never know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And people crave certainties. People crave something that is their pill. It's the one thing that they're going to keep repeating sure. over and over and again. It's the one thing that they can identify with. There's a solid identity you can build on that. Whereas it's hard to build a solid identity about being everything and the opposite of everything. And... So in some ways, I feel like people like to cut, like to mold themselves to an identity. So you can have a clear cut label, you can attach to yourself, put it on and say, I am this thing. This is what I'm about. And that's their entire existence. I think in some way people do that to themselves, possibly for a desire of uh, for clarity in a way. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly one one explanation. But then you see on the other side how much reward there is mm-hmm. for when for discarding that, you know, and it seems like enough people would see that reward and then just decide to jump ship on those on those previous ideas. But, Seriously. But they don't. What I wonder is maybe part of the culprit is one thing we've lost is that sense of coming of age, that mm-hmm. manhood right that you can track through almost mm-hmm. every other different culture. Now, in a lot of cultures that just came from being in the military, you right. know, like everybody served, everybody went to war. When you've been to war and back, you're not probably as concerned, especially when it's sword war, yeah. you know, where you're going right. face to face, smelling another man's armpits and, you know, yeah. beard lice, you know, that that kind <laughs> nice. of war. You're not <laughs> you're not really that concerned about proving your masculinity right. to the society at whole, you know. And so that's the extreme on one side, but even the the more just ritualized rights that really make people feel like a man. Those are gone Mm -hmm. in our society. So it's this kind of nebulous launch into manhood that maybe is leaving people feeling wanting, feeling on uncertain ground. So being on uncertain ground, being a little insecure, they have to go, you know, hyper aggressive the other way and lash out against these 
you know, softer sides, yeah. the, the yin side of, of life. That makes perfect sense. And I mean, some of it is cultural because, as you say, some things are uh, dancing, maybe seen as effeminate in one place, whereas in the other place, they may have the same mentality about ultra machismo, except the dancing is okay. Or, you know, <laughs> right. it's like there's that one right. weird. It's like uh, in Italy, there are some of the same dynamics in terms of, uh, you know, projecting a macho image, but about uh, physical affection among males is much more, you know, people hug each other in a way uh -huh. that when I first moved to US, I thought it was hilarious when you see the typical male hug where yeah. it's like, put the arm in between, pat, pat, you know, scoot the hips way back because <laughs> God knows otherwise we turn gay if we touch each other. It's like, there's, it's fun. It's like, really? Just, just come on, man. Yeah. Just either give me a hug or not. What's the, you know, it's like, it's funny. And, uh, but yeah, some of it is, uh, I know what you are saying about the, um, when you see the rewards why don't people take it on that note for those of you guys who do have or plan to have boys please teach them how to dance they will thank you deeply later on Hell where yeah. every other woman in the universe will be oh god he knows how to dance he's gonna get so many points <laughs> so two things you should do teach him how to dance put him in a yoga class with those two things he will thank you by the time he's a teenager definitely afterwards so yeah, because I mean, most, certainly most women would be more attracted in a guy who can be tough, but is a choice. It's also sweet. Right. You know, our sweetness and toughness go hand in hand. And vice versa to me, a you woman. You're not actually tough if you're not sweet. You know, I love that. Please do tell. You're playing yes. tough if right. you're not sweet. You know, if you're not able to show that tender side, you're putting on airs. You know, it's look at me. I'm so tough. I can be ruthless to everybody. You know, at all times. Right. That's not real. That's bullshit. You know, the toughest person should be able to be the sweetest and the gentlest yep. if they want. And you see that a lot in pro fighters. Some pro mm -hmm. fighters are assholes. Right. But most of the time, they're the they're the gentlest guys. You know, they can have somebody come up, and I've been you know pretty close friends with them. Come up to him in a bar and oh fuck you you're and they're like okay <laughs> it's right. okay little buddy like <laughs> go back to your little place <laughs> and you know but then at the same time you push him too hard of and course. it's still a lion yeah you know like you don't poke the lion too many yeah. times you know, it can uh, uh. be sleepy and nice but but yeah but most of the time it's just there they just own it mm -hmm. and it, it comes to the same in pretty much any category you know the people who are really experts really masters at anything mm -hmm. don't have to go around you know showing you how masterful they are from spirituality to ping pong you know like <laughs> ping pong right. is an example i always use because i'll run into these people who immediately come out of the gate like a bat out of hell yeah i'll kick your ass in some ping pong you're like <laughs> you don't have a chance and i know i know when i run into that person like i'm gonna smoke you but right kind of smile ah okay. oh, well maybe we'll play sometime right you know, and sure enough we end up playing and i whip them right but the person's like yeah i played a little bit you know i've had some games yeah that's right like, okay maybe we, don't need to, maybe we don't need to play because you're probably really fucking good right you know so it's it's funny how the world works it's almost always the same way yeah the louder the bark the less it's yeah. it's even like among animals you know it's like yeah. the ones who are yapping like crazy are not the dogs you are scared of yeah the dogs that are real quiet that's when you know that there's something there absolutely you know my tattoo artist is kind of a really insightful philosopher himself he was talking about tattooing dragons uh -huh. like, i never tattoo a dragon snarling with its mouth open and i was like oh that's interesting he's like why well 
He's like, it's a dragon. And when you're a dragon, why are you snarling? <laughs> like, there is no reason for you to snarl right. if you're a dragon. You <laughs> I know? love that guy. Because, yeah. <laughs> and I was brilliant. like, you know what? You're right. Yeah. You're right. So, you know, you see all these dragons, like, who are they trying to scare? What's better than a dragon? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> they got you. They got right. the drop on you for sure. You know, so. Have the dragons book it a cigarette. Yeah. It back, exactly. Like, Do I really have to show you I'm a dragon? <laughs> yeah. Do I really Do have this? to go yeah. there? Dragon. Yeah, I'm dragon here. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense. Your tattoo artist is a poet, he I is. must say. No, that's great. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, I guess what you're saying too about uh, sort of the Renaissance ideal of uh, somebody who's uh, who can do many things, who's the one who can uh, ride on horseback with no saddle and then uh, speak, uh, you know, be able to compose poetry to seduce a lovely lady and mm-hmm. do all these different things. It's, again, it puzzles me to no end the fact that that's not the standards that anyone was striving for you know right. why why in the universe would you want to be the specialist in the one field and you know nothing about everything else and yet our whole educational system is based on that is True. you need to know to do how to do one thing and that's it like the whole notion of interconnectedness which is not i mean that's the language of life right i right. mean that's in the dna of everything is how everything is connected to everything else what what makes you think that developing skills in one field is gonna translate into you becoming a better human being? It just that I don't know, man. It's like I don't understand where that. Yeah, from. and you know, there's a there's a counter movement to that. You know, I just went to two of my sisters' graduations, which, as I mentioned, happened on the same day, which is not optimal. But they're actually really quite interesting to see because they went to very much smaller schools, very uh-huh. small classes, and. The idea in those schools was much different. You know, there's kind of these more modern schools Hmm. where they're just really encouraging the students to kind of find their path, whatever it is. If it's art, they're doing art four hours out of the day and then just getting through the rest of the stuff. But they're exposed to everything and get to go. I think a major overhaul like that of the education system would be good. I kind of ended up doing that myself. Right. You know, just just kind of making my own cheats going mm-hmm. to school. I mean, I graduated from University of Richmond, Richmond with a degree in philosophy and classics and then went out and started a marketing company. Right. You know? <laughs> so I, I just did what I wanted to do. I found the classes that were interesting. I found the professors that were interesting and I just stuck with it and figured if I just keep thinking the right way, keep right. learning the right way, then you know, I'll end up ahead somehow. Yep. yep. You know? yep. And I think that's, that's kind of the way it goes. But everything could use a little more of a taste of this that reminds me of that um, masterpiece of cinematography Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze when uh, during a visit to the uh, ER is like hey it says here that you majored in philosophy how did you end up being a bouncer he's like just luck I guess (laughs) 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 but I mean yeah that contradiction of or have you seen have you seen that movie recently no you watch that you know now that the ufc days have come and we're very familiar with what happens when someone gets punched full out you look at that final punching scene it's ridiculous and it is the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen i mean but that's like a classic of most uh like martial art movie and everything where somebody get pounded like 37 million times with full power shots over yeah. and over 
they bleed as little and then they come back and they are fresh <laughs> as a rose and pull right. off spinning moves and it's like yeah man I like how um, having the screenwriter in your corner is a big yeah, help for sure definitely you know what was funny for me learning you know going through some of the classics courses is actually reading the historic tales of knightly combat mm-hmm. you know right now on the movies that actually happens the opposite happens super quick yeah. one sword blow to the belly and the guy doubles over Done. full full armored knight doubles over dead bullshit <laughs> those guys were fighting for 30 45 right. minutes sometimes an hour in single combat of just exhausting right. yep. sweating just trying to get little nicks and chinks and little cuts until finally they could overwhelm their opponent you know and even in these battles that you think of these bloody massacres most of the times they're just whacking each other right for a long time and then go back oh yeah good day at battle <laughs> you know it was, i mean some were of course horribly bloody and especially if you of had course. the army on the run and you can yeah. run them down but you know a full armor knight yeah i mean armor is a uh, is a strange beast heavy and there's no yeah try whacking it good luck because <laughs> it's yeah yeah it's exactly. funny because they couldn't really move that well no, obviously but they are like a little tank there's yeah. no you can get in anywhere yeah no that's that part is crazy that's yeah. really uh, so you have been as far as athletics go you've been kind of an athlete all your life it's just something that as a kid you started picking up and yeah you know i had a pretty natural aptitude for it my mother was a professional athlete so mm-hmm. i think it passed down my dad was a pretty good athlete too but um my mother was better which i think bothered him <laughs> a little bit <laughs> they stopped playing tennis against each other at as they were young. both tennis like i remember you tennis, said your yeah, mom was tennis uh, players, but my mother was uh went to the semifinals of wimbledon was really quite good. wow pretty dad, big deal right, right there. my dad played some college tennis and then they used to play and then my mother kept winning and then they stopped playing I mean, what was, years was uh, what year was it when uh, she 69 was her biggest year i think she was fifth in the world then i think she lost to billy jean king in the 68 wimbledon wow check yeah, that so out so it was um but anyway so yeah it was all in, always in my blood and i started training um just kind of freestyle kickboxing when mm-hmm. i was four or five and that was one of my first real kind of sports really and then that evolved into you know basketball became Mm -hmm. my main sport and went all the way through and uh got some pretty good accolades playing basketball but always kind of kept the base level of martial arts going not so much um i did some of the kata work but i did that more on the kung fu weapon Mm -hmm. side you know i figured if i was gonna do routines i might as well get a flashy sword yeah (laughs) with it too nice that seemed to kind of suit me a little better but everything was always kind of freestyle and then i started picking up jujitsu um actually from someone who trained under Gene LaBelle. So it was kind of that judo, jiu-jitsu cross uh, right around in high school, and that was a lot of fun, too. Awesome. Gene LaBelle, yeah, his whole style is so wild and crazy. and uh, The whole persona, I hear, is pretty wild and crazy. He's an interesting character from all scary. Uh, The only man in the world who can pull off a pink gi without anybody (laughs) saying a word. Yes. Yeah, yeah. When you can rock a pink gi, you're a scary man. Yeah, it's like Chuck Liddell with his pink toenail. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, like who wants to tell Chuck Liddell he's gay for wearing yeah, his pink yeah, toenail? Yeah. You know, not me. You know, on that note, it was so funny. One time, uh, maybe six months ago, I went to train jujitsu, and I completely forgot that my daughter had held me hostage and decided to paint my nails in the weirdest colors. Right. So I had like weird like red, pink stuff all over my nails, <laughs> and so I start rolling jujitsu. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but I think people were downright scared. They were like, I don't dare to ask. Right. Is, is that that he's coming out or is that that, I don't know, I don't want to say, I'll just ignore it, pretend sure. that nothing, nobody said a word. It was sure. hilarious because he was just too, un- I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'll funny. ignore it instead. Yeah. But 
Yeah, I think that, you know, for me, the athletic side is really, I couldn't encourage males or females more to get mm-hmm. involved in that in some way. I think that's the training ground for life. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you learn just so many valuable lessons and how to get out of tough spots. Yep. You know, as a kid, you know, having to actually, you, you find yourself in tough spots, but actually mm-hmm. having to work through them, there's really no better way than to go into sports. And Agreed. And, and so that was a great foundation. And then, you know, for me, the next big step was, um, you know, right after high school, um, I went off in the desert, and that's when I started my religion right there. And that was that was it. From that athletic background of just pretty much not really even caring about mm-hmm. so much about. I like poetry still. I'm right. always right. Um, but nothing. I never really thought about God or thought about anything else besides, you know, how I was going to improve my, you know, jump shot and. You know, get my vertical up, right. dunk on people, and yell at them. <laughs> you know, like whatever it was going through my head. Right. And uh, and that all that all changed um, after a little ceremony right after. So what happened in the desert? You met the right. spirit of Jim Morrison, and uh, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, the reptile man. <laughs> right. We just cruise around. No, so I got introduced to um, to a shaman out in uh, in like northern Mexican desert, mm-hmm. and went out there and. Uh, didn't really know what I was in for, but, you know, had some good sources recommended and um, recommended her. My father actually vetted her. And, hmm. and so I was like, all right, whatever, I'm up for it. I'm up for the adventure. What tradition? Um, kind of a mixed Native American, Mexican kind okay. of tradition. Yep. So um, a little probably Maria Sabina mm-hmm. kind of tradition along with some more Native American. They brought a lot of sage in. I don't know what the right. rituals were in that. But but really, what I ended up having was a mushroom tea. Right, and I didn't really know too much about it. But I drank the tea and chewed the little nasty little globs <laughs> that were in the tea and just followed instructions. And I had an extremely profound experience from that first. It must have been the right mushrooms at the right dose, because right away, you know, I remember the feeling of my spirit pulling out of my body. And all breathing, all autonomic control, completely gone. Everything was completely quiet in my body. And then my consciousness lifted. And I looked down. And then from that very moment, nothing, I've never thought about anything else the Mm -hmm. same. I mean, I looked down at my body and said, oh, shit, I'm not that thing. I'm something else. And that something else is outside of it. Right. You know, And, and just that, from that switch, that made a huge difference. And the other crazy thing that happened during then is, when I was in that position outside of my body, it was like that near-death experience where people say they recount their whole life, you know, and I could see back to all of the positive things I'd done, all the negative things I'd done. And I realized at that point that, you know, there was kind of a synergy between heaven and hell that I discovered. Mm -hmm. And the synergy was that if you, you know, leave, when you leave your body and you have that perfect clarity, all of your rationalizations for all the shitty stuff you've done, they're gone. Right. They're out the door. So if you've lived wickedly and done bad things to good people, you know, you're going to look back at that and feel nothing but terrible sadness and shame. Right. And that's going to be crushing because there's nothing. There's no way you can look away. There's no alcohol you yeah. can drink. <laughs> there's no drugs you can take. There's no sleep that gives you reprieve. You're just staring straight at your own actions right. and feeling sadness. Now, ultimately, there is probably that forgiveness that comes where you forgive yourself for this and prepare for whatever the fuck else you do afterwards. I don't know. I don't. It doesn't go that far. But I could feel that sense of review. And then if you live well, it's a heaven. You know, it's a reunion with source, wherever you want to call that that other, a reunion with other, that spirit of life itself. Some would call it God. 
and and it's a feeling of joy of living having lived well and done what you feel is your purpose and and that was really interesting for me to see because I always thought religion. I was like, oh, this is bullshit. Right. You know, I, I went to high school in Texas, so I'd go to these Sunday school things and ask them really fucked up questions, and they'd like kick me out of it. Right. It's like, but why this? And they're like, you got to have faith. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm out of here. I'm yeah. just, this was supposed to be a ski trip. Right. Like, you guys are tricking me. You know. So, but but yeah. But at that point, I was like, okay, well, I guess there is a little bit of semblance here because I threw everything out. How old were you when that I happened? I was like 18 and a half, like 19. Wow, so 19. way early on. It was, it was early. So that uh, and that that kind of kicked me off on my path. Yeah. So that's what it was. Um, you know, reading your book was cool because it's like. Yeah, hell yeah. That's what I've been doing. I've been creating my own. Right. You know, right from the start. And uh, I think that's, you know, as I said, that's a way to go. Yeah, I mean, I can't really think of too many other ways to, for anybody. This is not like it's my thing. It's like it's anybody's. Like, why wouldn't you create your own in the sense that it's your life? Nobody else can leave it for you. Nobody else can lay down the ground rules that are apply exactly to the human being that you are. You need to figure it out for yourself. Otherwise, you're living somebody else's life, which is yep. bullshit. It's a waste. It's yeah, and you hope that's a good example. But most of right. the time, it's not. Exactly. It's know, like, most of the time, they're manipulating you in uh, some way for some reason. Right. It's bad if it's a good example because it's still not you. It's horrendous if it's not a good example. So it's like it's a bad deal all around in yep. that sense. And uh, and that was one of the another thing that I you know. So my next step in the, my building my own religion, mm -hmm. I'm kind of a, I kind of have a really active thick monkey brain right like to, it's hard to get it out of the way even right. meditation is a challenge i do it but it's a challenge my man, mind is always computing always thinking so for me you know getting to that the psychedelic experience is an important way for me to shut that part off for a while right. and find the mystical so eventually that led me down to peru to you know take some ceremony with the ayahuasca mm -hmm. the curanderos down there and even before talking to them um, you know, they were talking about some of their philosophies, you know, some of the translators, not actually the shamans directly, but some of the people around them. And they were telling me this story, and it was, it was pretty funny. They were telling me a story about the Wiracocha, which is like the eighth chakra that hovers mm -hmm. above the, the head. And they're saying, you know, it's through that chakra that the soul enters the body, and it's out of that, you know, that golden orb leaves when you die. And, um, you know, so, so the shaman was there and, and I, and I asked through the, through the shaman, I was like, well, uh, how do you know that? And he just smiled and he says, oh, cause we see it. <laughs> cause we see it. <laughs> There's a, a nearly identical story. I heard this about, uh, Ojibwa medicine man, like cheap, sometimes I refer to as cheap, Ojibwa, however you want to say it, how there were uh, this one anthropologist studying with them was like so you say that rocks speak to you but he's like uh, and then they were like so does any rock speak to you and these guys are like no of course not not every <laughs> rock and he's like so but uh, how do you know he's like well this one speak to me and this one doesn't what are you talking about yeah, you know it was, like, it was it was such a funny question it was still sweet the way right. he answered it but it was like don't be crazy. Don't answer the question. How do I know? Because like, I saw it. You think I'm going to take someone's word for that nonsense? No way. And it's like, do you think you should take my word? No. And right. then and they go and then say, you'll see it too. Right. You stay here, you'll see it too yeah. if you want to. And that was it. It was like everything that they built their you know tradition on is from experience. They've yep. either felt it or seen it or touched it in some way. And, and that's the only thing that matters. That's all that they count. And that's the other big thing for me when it comes to the whole create your own religion approach or create your own anything is like, if it's not part of your individual experience, 
what the hell are we talking about? You know, it's like, yeah. it's even the best idea is hearsay if it doesn't come from uh, the ground that makes you you. And yeah. it's, uh, so I, that just, if, if it's a good idea, you know, keep it there, try to make it part of your experience, but it in, until it is part of your experience, these are just words. They don't mean much. And then, much. you know, you think about the people fighting to the death yeah. to defend something they've never experienced, just yeah. defend it on someone's word. Like, you know, like what the Trinity no versus this. It's <laughs> right. like, what the fuck are you guys talking <laughs> yeah. about? It's have like, you have you tried to go find that? Right. Yourself? It's yeah. like, oh, I need to chop your balls off and <laughs> burn you at the stake over that. It's like, yeah, that's healthy. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, good, um, good. good advertisement for whatever religion you are endorsing. That's, you know, reading, you know, reading your story again. I so I went through a period in college after that, that I got actually even more angry at religion mm-hmm. in general, like pretty virulently angry because I started having encounters. I had two encounters. One, I had a really good friend who was a Catholic and just a really good-natured, loving guy. And mm-hmm. he would go out, and we'd go out on the weekends. It's college. We'd drink some beers. Right. We'd dance with some girls, and maybe we'd hook up or whatever. But pretty innocent you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. Drink some beers, hook up with some girls, typical college stuff. But then on Sunday, would come around, and he would just be tortured. The man would just be racked with guilt oh, oh, until he could make it to confession. What have you know? I done? Yeah, and sometimes I would start on Saturday, you know, and he would be, or if it did it in the week, oh, he was right. really screwed then. If he went out on Monday night and started drinking, Bad and news. Up, then he had the whole week to wait till he could get absolved by the priest wow. who did his thing and sprinkled. So I don't know what the hell they do in there, but <laughs> whatever it did, then he would feel okay for a while, but just tortured by that by that kind of guilt. And then that coupled that with, you know, a girlfriend that I had for a while, who's, I guess, her first boyfriend. So she loses her virginity to this guy. Immediately upon losing her virginity, he goes, I can't believe you made me do that. You fucking slut. You're such a slut. You're a whore. I can't believe you made me have sex with you. And she's like this 17-year-old, 16-year-old girl, you know, like just lost her virginity. Jesus. And this guy is like, you're the the devil, the temptress, the slut, you know, and just goes off railing on her, like slams the door, won't speak to her, whatever, right? So I didn't obviously know that this was a this was kind of a train wreck of a situation I was getting into, but Whoa. I really felt for her. Obviously, the relationship couldn't work. I was sure. not going to be her psychiatrist here, but I was like, man, that is some real damage. I mean, that is serious, serious, serious damage. And, and that's, a, you know, those situations... It, just seeing them personally and then of course reading all the Giordano Bruno and right. all of these other heinous issues and I actually went to Italy and I saw the Dungeon of the Inquisition. Lovely place, right? Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, the things that they even thought of, how do you even think of that? You know? I mean like pinchers that go burning pinchers that you insert in your penis. Yeah. You know, like what? Why? I know some people have a lot of time on their hands <laughs> and some real sick fantasy there. Yeah. And, you know, so all of this in the name of religion, and I got really yeah. angry and it softened over the over the years. But after reading your book, I started to feel that little monk. <laughs> started to get loosened up. I wanted to stretch out and be like, all right, are we going back to war here? What's up, Aubrey? Are we ready to fucking put down the pen and pick up the sword? Like, I'm mad again. Or actually, it's the other way. Right. Pen, but... Um, yeah, it was really interesting. I'm still tripping out the story you just said about the guy going off on this poor girl. Yeah. Oh, there's got to just... be a special room in hell for this cat. I mean, really? Icy, icy cold. Really? And actually yelling at himself is the ridiculous thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. He is the weak one. And to deflect that on somebody else mm-hmm. and then to be able to go and just be absolved. Right. 
Well, of course, you know how nothing like a good undo button. You know how the story goes from there. You know he they do it again, repeat, same experience. Do it again, repeat, same experience. You know to have he'd have sex. Oh, you're a whore. You're a slut. And so, (laughs) what's bringing her to do it again? That's the part I don't get. Whatever that kind of victim psychology complex is, where he she was trying to prove to him that she was better and it was okay, and you know that she wasn't that way, you know, or that. I don't know, you know, that's getting into pretty deep kind of of that abusive psychology that brings wow. someone back to their tormentor yeah. for a certain period of time. Eventually she booked out. She's like, fuck this, I'm Smart. out. But, you know, I think it, it's such a shock to your soul when right. you get wounded that aggressively. It's like, how dare you, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. fix this, you know, fix this, make this right, you know, make me feel whole again. I don't know exactly what the mentality is, but it's... In, uh, <sighs> So he's still out there somewhere, most he's likely. He's still out there. Let's yeah. hope something bad's happening <laughs> yeah, today. Sure. I'm picturing right now an open trunk of a car, a shovel, <laughs> and a trip to the desert. Uh, yeah. That would seem I the mean, appropriate. Enough, enough females he does that to. Some father might not eventually. Yeah, what the hell? You know, take. Well, I mean, imagine if that was your daughter. Oh, that's sick. And that's just so fucking I mean, sick. How, is Obviously, hopefully you would prepare them in such a way that they would be inoculated to that. But to, to what extent? That know? also makes you think, though, is like, what is that? Because this doesn't just show up all of a sudden. There must be warning signals that the lady in question doesn't pick up, sure. which doesn't make her a bad person, but sure. it just means that there are signals oh, there that course. are screaming, this guy is a freak and you're not seeing them. Of course. And again, it's not doesn't mean you're bad. It just means that something in the way you view reality is off. Yeah, well, he did have a Camaro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but if you haven't seen it before, how do you know those warning signals? Yeah. That's why I think that should there should be like a warning signal. You know, what we teach our kids is such mm-hmm. bullshit. You know, I mean, we never teach them any real stuff. Right. Like, hey, if you're about to have sex with someone and they're behaving in this way, this might be a terrible experience. Right. Like, who is teaching our kids that? You know, parents yeah. certainly aren't. That should be probably the prerogative of the parents. But if the parents aren't going to do it, there should be other ways that they can get, like, kind of real teaching about preparing for these yeah. kind of situations. It's funny, that's... talking about uh, sports with kids earlier, we ran part of a soccer program through the YMCA in Nashville for years. And we finally gave up when the parents would not let loose of the everybody's a winner concept and everybody gets a trophy, which yeah. just made me crazy. Yeah. You know, in the seventies that didn't happen. When you lost, you lost and you knew you lost. And you probably got laughed at by the winners. But there's something about that that's important. To lose is to learn. If you go through and win or I participated so I get a trophy. It just makes me crazy. And I think we really are doing real damage at this point to make these kids think they're entitled. And it's a whole generation that thinks, just because I'm here, I deserve to be rewarded. Right. Well, everything swings in. It's overkill the other way. So at some point, probably in the 70s, it was you lose and you're a loser. You're a loser, son. You know, you just, right. how dare you? You're a loser. Well, then there's this backlash to these kids who've been told they're a loser, you know, for losing. And then they go the other way. Everyone's a winner. Well, that's bullshit, too. Right. <laughs> you know, somewhere right. in the middle is, yeah, you lost. It's all right, buddy. It is you all know, right. Train harder. Work harder. Maybe you'll get that win next time. You know, like, good effort out there. But, you know, you lost. Right. Yeah. I always thought you the know? effort was the most important thing anyway. Yeah. The yeah. fact that you got off your ass and went out there. Then you are a winner for and, that. And an effort in the game, but also effort in practice. Yes. Like, why was that person, why are they winning? Well, maybe they're putting in more hours. Yep. You know, maybe when you're playing video games, they're out there practicing their skill, whatever it is, soccer, or basketball, or whatever. But, you know, yeah. I mean, the, we always, we are in this weird counter, you know, 
overreaction state, I feel like, where yeah. everything has, you know, cotton gloves on it and everything is nerfed out. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, even the whole emphasis winning and stuff is like winning is unless you are the best in the world at what you do, winning or losing is situational. Is you're mm-hmm. beating this one guy, but if we had matched you with somebody else, you would be losing. That just So it's like you can only get so cocky because you know that there are billion people who are better than you. You also know that you are better than a whole bunch. But really, unless you are number one in the world, it's completely situational. It's depending on who they put in front of you. You could have practiced really hard and all of that is still there's an element of luck. So there's an element of, hey, take it easy and don't take it too seriously. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's a trip in itself. I know. But the idea of competition in that sense is, uh, yeah, that's the kind of thing that people would dig uh, the side that we are into as far as the more sensitive, sweet, poetic things mm-hmm. are the people who freak out when you, if you mention the word competition is a dirty thing, is competition, what are you talking about? Yep. It's like it's this, and to me, competition can be, man, talk about finding yourself, you know, yeah. dealing with adversity, dealing with, screwing up, dealing with uh, putting every last fiber of your being on the line for some objective. Well, the objective is bullshit. You know, who cares whether you score more baskets or not? Mm-hmm. Or who ca- That's not really the big deal. But It's about as, the internal uh, struggle. Yeah, because that builds character Hell for yeah. real. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we both kind of come from a little bit different sides of it maybe is, you know, you've more embraced that really physical side and i've you know pushed harder into that into the the yin side of things but we've ended up in the same place but i think one of the cases that you've made better than anybody else in the world is that case for the people who are on that softer side discarding the really young Mm -hmm. masculine side you know just saying oh what what are you doing working out lifting weights (laughs) wrestling with people don't be what what is that right we don't need to do that you know we see these people and and you know he he may be listening, and I don't mean to call him out, but I just had a just had a good friend, and he's he used to be a basketball player with me, and he was tough, he used to dunk on people, and but part of his nature that he was missing was that really masculine side. Right. So he left school, finished that, and then he's gotten into very deep into meditation, spirituality practices, and he's become very very yin focused. Mm-hmm. You know, so he he, he texts me the other day, and he says, um, you know, hey, I'm thinking of doing a juice cleanse. You know what should I what should I do? And this man is as clean right. as a whistle. And I was like, brother, I I mean, I could tell you some juices that I think would be good, but I don't think you need a cleanse. I think you need to do a hundred hundred grams of protein a right. day. You know, high protein, high fat. Hit the gym and build your you know build your yang energy. Right. Back. You know, build that masculinity back that that uh-huh. you're missing. And you know, to his credit, he was like, yeah, you're right. You're like, I need to do that instead of a cleanse. But to them, they get stuck. You know, a lot of people, they get stuck in this mindset of mm-hmm. adding more on top of what they're already doing. Oh, I'm missing something. Maybe I'll add a juice cleanse. Right. Well, the man's been eating like impeccably, <laughs> you know, like caring right. for his body and soul, like nurturing it yeah. all the way. No. Yeah, drink some whiskey, grab your nuts, you know, grab a girl on the dance floor, dunk a basketball, lift some weights, fight somebody. Right. I don't give a fuck what you do, but do something, <laughs> yeah. man. You know, like bring that other part out of you. Right. And that's, the, you know, a case that you've made so well is you got to have both. You know, and part of the reason why the movement, you know, is a lot of this spiritual movement gets discarded is 
the examples are, how are you going to tell a stockbroker who's in there either lifting weights or making trades in a currency pit, you know, to embrace this spiritual aspect and ritual? If you're coming at them with your shoulders on right. forward, yeah, yeah, your long, yeah. unkempt yeah, you should really try this, man. Like, Fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> what the hell do right. you know about yeah. what I do every day? Yeah. And so I think, you know, maybe that's some small niche for people like myself and you to be able to say, hey, you know, be able to grab people's attention on both sides. Right. Say, yep. Hey, everybody, you can do everything. And that's the thing that when you, in some way, speak more than one language, not literally, but in the sense that on an energy level, you are comfortable in such different places. Mm -hmm. You can be with that person in their one space and yet show them that there's other spaces where yep. it's okay to be. I remember one time I had this guy... Um, um, First semester I started teaching, I had this kid out of South Central LA, you know, South Central, tough, rough environment, you know, on a fairly regular basis, dead people on his block uh, and all of that kind of stuff, right? And he was intrigued with some of the things that we discuss in class, but you know, there's also an element of this is all talk. The fact talk on the street is cheap, whatever is how tough you are. And, <laughs> and I remember when um, he came to train with me in martial arts, he was funny, it's like this light went off and he gave himself permission to, oh, now I can finally, I've been wanting to listen right. to what you say. Now that you kick my ass, now I can listen to what you say. <laughs> totally. Now you earned it, you totally. know, because it's like, if you don't kick my ass, uh, then I don't know, you're just talking, I don't trust you. But right. where I come from, that's what counts. If you can do that, then open the door to everything else by all means. It's, yeah, It's funny, but to me it's essential to be able to, speak those languages otherwise you are the amazing if they put you in a meditation center and you don't know how to deal with a crying baby or you are awesome around kids but you don't know how to you know it's like you want to be comfortable in as many environments as humanly possible you're on earth and that's you know that's that's the key is to earn people's respect in the language uh -huh. that they know. Otherwise, they'll just tune you out. Yeah. Literally, like it's a different language. Yeah. Literally, like if if you switch to Italian right now mm -hmm. on this podcast, and most of your non bilingual people would just be like, huh, huh, okay, I'm I'm over this. Right. You know, they just wouldn't listen to you anymore. It's yeah. just not their language. So. You know, and I think that's one of the things that our good friend Joe Rogan has really done that's really shaken things up because he is a bad motherfucker. Mm -hmm. He is tough as shit. I mean, he could beat you on your feet. Yep. He could beat you on the mat. There's no solace no. for him. You know, that's... like he's he's just a really tough guy. And up in stand-up comedy, that's about as masculine a performance art as there is. But at the same time, he's talking about float tanks and right. smoking DMT and doing yoga and meditating. And all of a sudden, all of these people who would never listen to anybody else yeah. are like, oh, okay. If okay. Joe says so, Joe then says I should so. try it. Yes, you know, And of that's course. been a, a beauty of his message, you know, and yeah. uh, I think it's really important. And I think that's the next way. I mean, hell, that is the the symbol of Quetzalcoatl, mm -hmm. you know, the feathered serpent, that alliance of two things that don't, shouldn't really go together, you know, feathers and scales. So it's a Mexican version of Yin and Yang. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's exactly right. right. And, uh, man, that's, it's just utterly vital and utterly yep. missing. And in that sense, even the thing you're saying, like on one end, you have this very athletic side of you, very in touch with your body and still to this day with everything that you do. Mm -hmm. And on the other end, like the psychedelic experience of being out of your body and being like, I'm not really it either, mm -hmm. you know? And the people who you say, I'm not it, are usually people who treat their body like crap, who are divorced yep. from their body. They have no idea what their physical self is like. And so they're emphasizing this otherworldly spirituality. 
the people who are emphasizing the body tend to dismiss all of this as ah weird spiritual crap only the mm-hmm. material the here and now counts and the fact that you are able to go both places say something right there you know that you are comfortable in both environments and sure. can have those experiences that's that's a trip right there it is it's interesting you know and i'll go to these places and you know a lot of them are really hot places so i'll be out with my shirt off working mm-hmm. out you know doing push-ups out nobody's doing push-ups <laughs> out at a peruvian ayahuasca right. retreat, i promise you <laughs> so they look at me like what who let him in here? Like, what the hell is this crazy person doing right. I mean, you know but when it's go time and you know you got a show of hands of who wants to do the ceremony with the dragon and face their death you know, I'm the first to raise my right. hand. Like, hey, what's what's going on here? Why is he, what is, who yeah. is this person? Yeah. And yeah. then eventually, you know, I get to be friends with all of them. And they realize, hey, I speak their language too. Right. I just happen to speak another language that to them usually signifies that I'm going to, I don't know, make fun of them or beat them right. up or whatever other stereotypes they have. So you experience that kind of opposite prejudice when you go into those environments. And then similarly, you know, I'll hang out with... You know, my girlfriend's father and his friends and some of the softer things I do, like exploring my spiritual side and taking, you know, psychedelic experiences. What the hell are you doing, boy? What's wrong with you, kid? What the hell are you doing, boy? Yeah. You know, and and it's the other side. But fortunately, I speak his language, too. And so, you know, it ends up working out. But you get attacked (laughs) on both sides, but it's so worth it. Yeah, 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 definitely. Speaking of psychedelic experience, one thing that I notice in uh, sort of studying the history of psychedelics and various religious traditions is the element of um, secrecy that often surrounds it. You know, if you go to the Eleusis, the Kikeon and all of that, it was Mm -hmm. the mysteries. If you go to Soma in Hinduism, there was this sense of we would rather let the secret of Soma be lost than for people to misuse it. There was always this sense that it's something for people who are initiated into it. It's not something for everybody. Well, you, you talk about in the ancient sense, like the Delphic or right. Illusion Mysteries, you know, what the what they think that they might have been doing is using a brew of psychedelic ergot mm-hmm. and, and creating that. Um, at that point, you have to kind of look at the power and monetary structure, though. You know, I mean, they basically found a secret that could allow people to have visions and get outside of their mind, which back in the ancient days, that's not science, that's magic. Right. That is straight up magic. Yeah. So they have a, you know, a magic potion, literally, at that point, and they're going to keep control of that because it puts them in power. You know, and I think that's where you see a lot of it is people holding on it because it grants them you know, they're the wizards at that right. point. Yeah. You know, they have these this wizardly control of that. But not everybody is like that. I mean, in a tribal sure. sense, you know, there's the medicine keeper who obviously has a very high position in the tribe, you know, as the person who's following mm-hmm. the lineage. Um, but the whole tribe gets access to it. So there's kind of that duality of it. sometimes it's in a bigger society, it tends to be secret. You know, there is still the idea that even at a tribal level, there's often this sense that is, uh, it's a sacred thing. Is you're not fucking around with it. You mm-hmm. don't take it and for kicks, you take it for a very it's medicine. Yeah, exactly. So there's the sense in a way that is something not to be misused. So I guess mm-hmm. not for everybody in that sense too. One is what you rightly point out is the cynical. You know, we are gonna hold on to the good stuff, and it's a power trip. And on the other end, there's the aspect that's not necessarily cynical but equally concerned is the not everybody's ready to handle this not every not every context is good for it so it's like whereas uh, 
popping LSD in one contest may lead to certain results, popping LSD in the middle of uh, the police chasing you will lead to very different feelings. And Shit, it's like, even in any risk of police being involved at all, right. you don't want to take right. LSD. That's the thing, you know, people talk to me about, um, you know, different trips they have, and they're like, oh, what about a bad trip? Well, I... For me, the only way a trip can be bad is if the context is bad. Right. Or your reaction to the experience. You know, you decide you you treat it the wrong way. I mean, basically, from that very first moment, you know, the shaman that I went to out in out in the desert and uh, in mountains, and the very first thing she said is the most key things to remember is one witness and two allow. Mm-hmm. So you're just a bystander. You know, I've heard it explained a bunch of different ways where you're sitting in the movie theater watching the movie, mm-hmm. you know, and just let it happen. Right. You know, just don't try to fight it. And if you take that, you can have even the most hellish experience come to your mind. And if you look at it with that kind of dispassionate way, like, that's interesting. I wonder why I'm seeing that. Well, wow. You know, it's like going to a horror movie. Let's right. say you go to a great horror movie. It's not a bad movie because it's the content is bad. <laughs> right. It's just that was your horror movie <laughs> yeah. for the day, you know. Yeah. And that's the same way with psychedelics. But but can a trip get bad if let's say you have some people who are really aggressive around you or some weird things going on? I think Duncan has a joke about that, you know, where he was just took mushrooms and someone says some really hyper aggressive thing. Right. That can totally skew oh, your, yeah. skew your whole experience. But as long as you have that attitude of I'm just here to witness what's going mm-hmm. on. I mean I've had plenty of experiences that were horrific. I mean spiders crawling inside of me, exploding. I was sliding down a vine of thorns naked one time. I don't know why I was naked. Why couldn't I have at least some shorts on? <laughs> right. But no, I was sliding down, you know, butt first and it was just ripping up my balls and my ass Yeesh. and like so graphic. I'm like, why are you showing this to me? Like, I can't think of anything more horrible. Than yeah, that's pretty snakes bad. Snakes coming into my, burrowing into my insides, eating my organs from the inside out, bursting out of my heart, like going into my head. I, I mean, all of these things, but I, I learned the attitude to just Okay, well, I guess this is this is what I'm in store for today. Do you think in that sense you have to to really go through it well? You have to have almost no fear of death. You it'll break you of your fear of death and that's kind of the point. You know, right. that's why they call ayahuasca the vine of death. Uh, because it's going to push you to the point where you accept your death. So finally, I'm having all these visions, and this was another part of mm-hmm. you know my own spiritual growth, is I'm having all these visions, and they didn't really bother me that much. I was like, all right, all right, snakes eating my insides. Oh, there goes my liver in the mouth of an eel. Oh, there's spiders pulling out of my eyeballs. It's like, oh, the vine of thorns. That was particularly nasty. Yeah, that's nasty. But then what it did is like, all right, all right, we haven't broken you yet. You know, you're still, you're still standing pretty strong. I'm like wiping a little blood off i'm feeling right. okay and it's like now we're going to tell you you have cancer and you're dying and that's what it told me the, the ayahuasca right. said you have cancer and you're dying right now you're dying you're, it'll be a few years of suffering and then you'll be dead and i was like no no way no i don't have cancer i'm not going to die and i started to fight it and then i started to get that panic and the cold sweats it's like nope you do you do for sure you got it for sure and then finally at that point i had to say you know what fuck it if I do, you know, if that's the way of the world, if that's my fate, then let it be. Right. At that very moment where I accepted it, the whole thing shifted. And it really felt like that scene from Avatar where all the fibers from the earth came up and kind of held me and pulled me back into the ground. And all this tension and nervous energy and all these horror, horrific things I was seeing, 
they all ended and I felt just cradled by this really maternal spirit you know call it Pachamama or the earth or whatever that feminine energy right. that surrounds it I just felt like I was nestled up in there and couldn't feel anything but love and content like I've been through hell yeah of course but it was just peaceful and and quiet and and it that's what it does to you it takes you to the point of what you fear most yep and then it makes you accept that and once you accept that then you really have gotten past a great amount of your fear of death because you've looked at it in right. the face and said okay so I tried the usual suspects and failed <laughs> but then it got it found my right body. yeah and got through it's That's interesting a, how much that sounds like what Duncan was talking about with his mother before she passed away was the holding is what she would describe that feeling as mm-hmm. is the universe welcoming her back in and that she had that secure feminine feeling. Mm-hmm. So it's just That's interesting. Yeah. I mean it's you know you get a lot of when you're in these spaces you can certainly feel the difference between the male energy and the female mm-hmm. energy. You know, I mean obviously we're putting you know, anthropomorphizing a little bit, putting male and female in the terms, but that's just what makes sense to us, sure. the, whatever that that is. And um, you certainly get both. You know, I've had uh, encounters with kind of the sky energy too, and it's very cerebral. And you know, iboga is another one that is very much a masculine energy, whereas mm-hmm. ayahuasca is very much a feminine energy. Iboga is the root of a of a African shrub from Gabon, and it's a very different trip. It's a twenty four hour trip. A crazy, amazing experience, but very, very intense. But that has a distinctly masculine Hmm. energy where you feel like you're either talking to your higher self or some kind of male voice that's just telling you basically like, hey, dummy, this is what you've been doing wrong. And you're like, what, really? And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. And you can have laughs and whatever, but it's it's a different kind of vibration Mm -hmm. than than the feminine energy, which is like, hey, get back to your roots, son. Right. You know, don't think you're so high. Let's crawl back down here in the mud, you know. Put your belly back on the earth and let's figure it out. And the sky energy is like, hey, let's explore this. Let's see what you think about this. Hey, this is what your mind is doing wrong. And it's it's really interesting to kind of encounter those two archetypal forces which have permeated so much of... Of course. All of uh, that's wow. That's why that right there. The thing you were talking about earlier, when you said that feeling of when you come to accept it, the worst possible scenario, and you're like, you know what, fuck it. If it is, it is, and this. That's exactly like my. I've been using it so much. We use it at the introduction of the podcast. My whole thing about you know raise middle finger and defiant smile. That it, it's exactly what you're mm-hmm. talking about. Is that feeling of. I don't have control over it at the end of the day. You know, if the universe decides to squash me like a bug, well, it just squashed me like a bug. There's really not a whole lot I can do about it. But that sense of uh, accepting it and deciding to run with the wave at the same time, there's an element of defiance in it that is like, you know what, fuck it, bring it already. It's like, quit scaring me up with it and just do it. You know, it's like, you're annoying me, you're wasting my time here. It's like, there's that element to it. And uh, man, that's is not exactly an easy medicine because it doesn't come from anywhere other than horrendous ripping loss whether it's loss of a threat of something that you're afraid of that said no this is it for sure so you're using losing your sense of certainty that that sense of invincibility or you know whatever that may be the form but it's certainly not a pleasant way to get there but once you get there the feeling is actually really interesting and it's 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 almost feels like it's the reason you don't know there's some things i don't think there is a reason mm-hmm. why you know, right. some things just happen they're yep. just random but you know when you do get to that feeling you know 
you can have some solace in the fact like, oh, I made it through the other side <laughs> right. you know, and I'm different now. And, um, you know, is that the reason why it happened? I don't know. I'm not going to posit sure. that kind of, but it does give you some value <laughs> at the end of these experiences if you can fully accept them. Right. I think like we were talking at dinner, you know, the way, the way of the poet is when you fall in a hole and there's a lot of pain there. It's not to scratch and claw and try to get out and not feel it. It's just say, oh, shit, I'm in a hole. Well, better get my shovel because there's something at the other side of this. And I'm just going to yep. dig my way out from the bottom and feel every bit of it. Yep. And if you do that, you got nothing to fear. you know. But if you hide that and you block those feelings and you create what I think Eckhart Tolle would call pain bodies mm-hmm. in your system, in your psyche, because you haven't really gone there. Um, you know, it's just going to seep in toxic energy or thoughts or whatever you want to call it. It's going to be kind of seeping into your life for a long time until you actually face it and yep. embrace it and move past it. Yeah, we think people think that uh, they are playing it safe by running away from it. It actually controls you 10 times more. Totally. And it's with you every single step of the way than if you face it straight on. It hurts more in the quick, you know, in the short run but then you're done in a way rather than having to constantly live with it in a micro form but every second of your life you know that's uh but regarding the whole about death not only as either as a metaphor or as what it the thought of it what it does because of all your psychedelic experiences what do you think what's your idea about death what do you picture as far as uh, you take your last breath the blood stop pumping mm-hmm. what do you think happens well i felt what i thought happens uh-huh. you know that very first time and it's a it's an immediate free you're free from all the rationalizations and all the bullshit that allows you to live however you want to live and you see with perfect clarity mm-hmm. you know the that god's impeccable clarity for lack of better vocabulary and you're able to look at your life and i think that's the first thing that i think happens and then from there Um, there's a period where you're either can move kind of very quickly if things have been light and you've lived a good life and you can kind of part ways with your memories and remove your gaze from the life that you previously Mm -hmm. lived and then go, I don't know what happens at that point, but I have a sense that you keep a certain, you keep a certain identity of your, of yourself Hmm. there. You know, I know I never always wondered whether you would just kind of reabsorb into this amorphous mass and then come out as something completely new. But I, I have a sense, just based on my experiences, sure. that you retain an identity. Hmm. Now, whether that identity chooses to come back into another life, I don't have an experience there, but I have an inkling and a feeling that you do. I hmm. have a feeling that you go back and you kind of analyze it and you say, you know, whatever, I don't know if you say it or it's whatever happens you choose another life form. And I think that could be in this planet. I think it could be in another planet. I think it could be depending on situations or I don't know what the metric is. Sure, besides of that. course. But I do have a kind of reincarnation belief. Mm-hmm. Now, I would put, for me, that's kind of in the, not really sure, but I think that's going to happen. Of course. But for me, what I experience leads me to fully believe that, you know, epistemologically that, after you die, there is that period where you retain consciousness and review your life, and that part of your spirit remains intact for at least that. Mm-hmm. That I know. That I've experienced. For me. Right. You know? right, right and right. I think other people would have to experience that as well to know it the same degree sure, of course. as I do. But I think that's... That's why this is purely not is, yeah, is so, what's your feel based on your experience. Yeah, so it, that's, that's really what I feel. And I, I feel like that's 
you know, that's what happens. And I've had some other, you know, I've asked some interesting, Iboga is really interesting because mm-hmm. you really get a chance to ask questions. Right. Right. And so I asked, I asked questions about a variety of different things. And that was one of the questions I asked. I asked about reincarnation and at the Iboga told me, it was like, yeah, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, you go back and then you choose a situation that will be challenging to you in your next, it, this is what it told me. It said to me, you choose a situation that will be challenging for your soul and can either, you know, will cause you to overcome and reach a certain level of what you're supposed to do or you could take it the other way if you want. There's free will involved. Right. You're not just put on a train and you just yeah. sip pina coladas. <laughs> you know, you're given, you're going to go into a situation where there is adversity. Sure. And it'll either cause you to grow or it'll cause you to go the other way. And that's what it said. And I tend to trust that voice it sounded mm-hmm. a lot like a wiser version of me <laughs> <laughs> and so whether that was a trick of the medicine or whether it really was right. my higher self for whatever reason it sounded a lot like it was me from the beyond so i tend to tend to believe that it also told me a pretty interesting thing about god too mm-hmm. so god is something that is very hard to verbalize mm-hmm. right so it it, it for one of the rare points, it was very chatty, Iboga, this, this other thing. It was just constantly, most of the time it's telling me how stupid I was about different things. It's like, oh, you're being, this is your silly mind. We're going to call it mind boy. And it's always ruining them, mucking things up. But it was telling me all kinds of things like that. But when I asked it about it, I was like, what's the nature of God in the universe? It shut up for a second. It was like, all right, well, language isn't going to work here. So then I saw the universe as a giant heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And so the Big Bang is the propulsion of of the heartbeat and all of the planets themselves all of a sudden they look like blood cells and they were just going up and then eventually they ran out of energy and then they rushed back condensed and then back and so it was this sense of infinity for the big bang not mm-hmm. like the big bang happened once oh yay i'm glad it happened for the first time right well it's been happening forever yeah so this sense of infinity of the universe expanding and attracting and i was like okay so i kind of understand the nature of the universe and then but what about God? And then it showed me that the universe was inside, it was the heart of this giant kind of amorphous blue titan looking character. And the titan was running. Slowly, the titan was running. And the titan was God. Mm-hmm. And all God's decision to do was just to keep running, just to say yes to running. And that's what kept the heart pumping, is his decision to run. So all of the history of the universe is uh, up till now is uh, a three minute within uh, God going for a run. That's, <laughs> that's what God's just, just that's, it's, that's, mo- it's morning job. Right? <laughs> He's made one choice and his choice was to keep running, to say yes, <laughs> to say yes to the heartbeat of the universe. Right. And that was it. That was his duty. But then it really freaked me out. And then I was like, oh, you think you got it? Well, now God's running on an elliptical track where he's going to the same spot over and over. So another image of infinity. And then all of a sudden there was a thousand gods running on the same track. <laughs> and then there was multiple tracks. And I was like, oh, okay. Too okay, much, okay, too yeah. much. Okay. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm out of like, here. Yeah. You know, stop it. But, but yeah, I, I think for me, and so I've really kind of adopted that principle of that life force, the Wakantanga, yep. as the Lakota people would say. It's just, it's just, yes. That's what source or God is. It's yes to life. It's yes to order. It's this universal force that pushes and just says all right let's do wow. this yep you know and that's uh and so that's it for me so that's in my religion you know that's what god is god is right. the, the the titan that keeps running yep. you know because why does he keep oh he that's what he does that he loves <laughs> he loves life he loves his creation and he's going to keep doing that he i say he of course be, he's but yeah, yeah right. it you know whatever um but yeah so that's and again you know i 
you you have these experiences and you have so many things come up correct from uh-huh. all the trivial bullshit that you ask it and it's so insightful that when it shows you something like that and we on the aboga chip you you believe it you know it's not like it has a record of like when you go to a psychic you know where you remember the good shit right you're like oh yeah you were mostly right but you're way the fuck off on I'm this on the, yeah you know you look back and i look back at my notes and it's like right 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 well i'm not sure about that but it's either right or question mark like who right. knows but you tend to believe it when you've experienced it and i think you know that's what's so crucial about creating your own religion is just finding things that you've experienced and can really yeah. believe you know i yeah. mean someone could challenge me from a uh, any other point, epistemologically, philosophically, but uh, this is what I saw. Who cares? This is what, this yeah. is what a voice that sounded a lot yeah. like a better version of me showed me. So, And again, it's not the point of doing experiencing it for yourself. It's not that you're going to establish some objective reality that everyone else has to sign up for. It's That's my experience. Get your own damn experience. Yeah. You know, sure. This is purely as a food for thought, but it doesn't mean anything unless you have it. You know, Just because... In this case, you are having it, somebody else is not. It's not about listening for believing it or not. Did Aubrey really have this thing going on? Did he tap into the secrets of the universe or is it just nuts? Who cares? That's not really the point. I've always loved the notion that life is the universe's way of experiencing itself. Yeah. I think that's a really tasty way to kind of at least... deep. It does get deep. So we don't forget, would you please talk about what you learned at the um, psychedelic conference about using psilocybin to treat PTSD? Because I think that's a well, hugely... Yeah, it's, it's MDMA to treat PS- oh, PTSD. Sorry. So yeah, the MAPS organization, Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, headed by a, um, a guy named Rick Doblin. They've been doing amazing work with vets coming back from the war and treating them with uh, MDMA. And you know, I, I was listening to lectures from some of these researchers, and they're saying... You know, we're in one session with these guys and accomplishing what we would accomplish in three years in an hour. Wow. And they're looking at us like, look, I've been doing this for 30 years. I mean, these are people who've been treating PTSD since the fucking Vietnam War. And they're like, this is tough sledding. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're on this, they're on, well, they're not supposed to know, see, because they're in clinical trial. So they don't know if it's, they don't know if it's placebo or if it's MDMA. Well, guess what? (laughs) It's not so hard to tell (laughs) when someone's been given a big dose of MDMA or they haven't. But anyway, so they said that's one of the problems with the clinical design is obviously it's pretty, pretty self-evident, but they're saying we're accomplishing in an hour what it would take three years to accomplish. And it's just... You know, opening up, allowing people to relive those experiences with a sense of well-being. I mean, MDMA is affecting your serotonin complexes, you know, the mechanism of action and just flooding your body with excess serotonin. So you feel happy and safe and comfortable so you can relive these experiences that normally you cringe and shy away from. Kind of like what we were saying about being afraid of that hole, being afraid of that, that pit of fear and sadness. And it allows you to peer back in and say oh okay well that happened and that was a bummer but um it's not happening now you know because i can look at it so it's been a really amazing research some a lot of clinical research being done not only in this country but all over the world and then on the psilocybin front um johns hopkins and nyu are both having really successful studies uh the johns hopkins study um they dosed people with psilocybin in 84 or like 94% of the people who got the psilocybin said it was one of the top five most meaningful experiences of their life. 
And this is all fully clinical research. There's between 80 and 100 patients that have gone through um, full clinical trials with psilocybin. Right, so this is not, you know, happy hippie telling you about, uh, oh, I, you know, no. it's, it's pretty this is deep it. This scientific is full stuff. scientific yeah. rigor, you know, the same kind of rigor that all of all the FDA-approved drugs go through. They're following the, following the steps, and I think it's, you know, really points to a potential very positive future. It's cool that the government, and I, I hardly ever say that. I don't think that's like a really <laughs> rare phrase. That comes it's out of my, cool that it's the, cool government, that the government, yes. right? But it's cool that the government has actually approved these studies as of recently. Right. You know, I mean, that, they were blocking, 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 yeah. but finally like, all right, screw it. Well, they wow. got to realize, you know, the disaster they've created from the insanity of the past that's decade right. that we can really, I mean, you can go to Santa Monica right now and still see remnants of Vietnam we don't need a whole other generation of that. And if we can help these guys rein it in and get themselves put back together after the horrors that they dealt with, that's a really, really important thing. Absolutely. And it's great news to hear. I guess yeah. one thing that I'm curious about is how do you, because you know, you studied philosophy, you mm -hmm. did all this athletics, this and that, but you also seem to have a really freakishly intense scientific knowledge where you, uh, how did you pick that, all that stuff up? You know, I, um, I went and I worked for a biotech company in Edmonton for a while, and they mm -hmm. were developing ovarian cancer drugs. And I worked for them for about two years. And the way I am, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to figure it out and do it. Right. You know, like, I'm going to go all the way. So I spent a ton of time with these scientists. And Edmonton is a rather dreary place. Sorry for any Edmontonians. <laughs> but they, they actually joke about it themselves. They say it's the place where Celsius and Fahrenheit meet. And they have T-shirts. <laughs> and, and that's only when it gets really goddamn cold. Right. <laughs> but most of the city's underground. So you just go through tunnels and stuff to avoid it. But I spent a lot of time there just picking the scientist's brain. And I, we had a bunch of drugs that were on from preclinical to phase one, phase two, phase three. So I started to learn the whole process from taking something from data through having enough information to do a phase one human trial then having enough to expand that mm -hmm. to phase two and uh, really started to learn those principles. And that's helped me a ton in, you know, founding on it um, because, you know, we're not creating drugs, but these supplements right. have to be studied in that same manner of course. Uh, to have credibility. So we've really tried to find as much as we could, you know, natural ingredients, because I really trust the natural ingredients that have scientific rigor behind them. And then on top of that, we're going to conduct our own studies. We actually have some underway. So you got to embrace it all. You no, know, that's got to go all the way to the outside. Renaissance that's approach it. to knowledge. The only thing I feel like I don't have to do is mathematics. Yeah. <laughs> you know why? The reason why is because somebody else has already got the perfect answer. Right. I'll just ask that dude. Yeah. I'll I can hire delegate. Him, but yes, <laughs> that's not yeah. like a plan. Because everything else, you have your own wiggle room to make your right. own. Even in science, you can develop a different study. You can make yeah. connections from different things. And math, you have to be so advanced to be on the forefront of actually figuring new shit out. Yeah, I mean, that level is completely unattainable. For everything else, up to that mastery level, somebody else has the exact right answer. That's why I never really like it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you do it. You'll yeah. tell me about you're, it. If you're going like, to come up with a number and there's only one number that's right, like, yeah. you do that. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, work, I'll work on it. I'll write something. I'll never forget the do. dark day when uh, the Algebra 2 trig teacher wrote on the board that the square root of negative 1 is imaginary. And I was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> 
Yeah. We've gone as far as we know. I appreciate the multiplication of division. I can see where that's going to be useful. The geometry is nice, but square root of negative one equals right. I. <laughs> Thank I'm, you very much. I'm actually done at square root. I'm like, okay, I'm done. I don't want to eat anymore. <laughs> yeah. What the hell are you talking about? No, I there is no square root. <laughs> it grows into the ground, the root. What, what's square root? Yeah. Like, yeah. Show yeah, me a square root. Yeah, show me a square root. It's They're like, all squiggly okay. like squids. Yeah. The ones that I've seen. It is funny, though. Are you aware of what Khan Academy is? It's a Khan new Khan Academy. Yeah, a place like, where you trick people. Well, it, it could be. <laughs> that would be C O N. This is K H A N, which is even crazier. But it's um, little tiny fourteen-minute lessons that there was this investment banker whose nephew needed some help with fractions. So he did this little fifteen-minute thing and sent it to him, and he did better. And he kept doing them, and he kept doing them. Now there's hundreds of them, and they may have reinvented how to do school, where you get the fifteen-minute lesson. And until you've mastered that tiny piece of it, you don't move on. And what they're finding is a lot of kids with fractions hang up a lot of people. Mm -hmm. That you could spend the whole year getting your fractions figured out, but you're not a dumb kid. You just had a tough time getting fractions. And as soon as you get past that roadblock, you move on to the next thing. So these guys now have hundreds of lessons. And they actually did straighten me out on the uh, square root of negative one equals I, but it was still too mysterious for me to dig. But it is amazing that teaching is about to shift where you do the lesson at home on the computer and then you go to school and the teacher helps you through the stuff you don't understand. Interesting. That would be a lot better. I mean, I, I think, you know, there was a quote in your book that said to, to teach, it was the lion and the ox the same way oh, yeah, as yeah. oppressive or something it's like that. It's a William Blake thing. Is I forgot the exact wording, but he's along the lines about the same law for the lion and the ox is oppression. I'm totally misquoting yeah, it, but that's the basic essence. It's the same essence. thing for, for school. You, you know, they try to make one set of rules mm -hmm. in the school for all of the kids. Yeah. And it's just bullshit. Doesn't work. No, it doesn't no. work. You're going to create some really antagonistic situations. You're going to have a middle group that works pretty well for, hopefully, you know, maybe, I don't know, with us, some of our schools. I mean, maybe it doesn't work good for anybody. Right. But you should at least be able to get some. the middle swath yeah. if you're sensible. Yeah. And then some people, maybe it's perfect for or whatever. But um, it's tough. You know, having more flexibility and customization. I no, think, so the, the education system we have right now is really good at cranking out mediocrity. Yeah. Because yeah. it's that middle section that will yeah. do okay. But the people that want to excel or the people that, you know, frankly – need to begin working on cars and stuff that they love so that they can get great at that. Yeah, you know, my, educational, my educational history, I, I only remember the great teachers. Mm -hmm. And that's still something that, you know, I think is really valuable. And you're a teacher yourself. I mean, man, I could only imagine if I had you in school, you know, I'd be like, I'd be pumped. I'd want to- You'd be like, why am I sitting here <laughs> and I'm also lecturing at the same time? This is yeah. confusing me. I, I don't understand. Kids, like, <laughs> you gotta go in this class, man. Like, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I fell asleep, but then I wasn't asleep, and I was awake, and it was yes. him. It was me. It was confusing. A very strange psychedelic <laughs> trip right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, no, that's funny, man. Yeah, um, yeah. Last thing I'm going to bug you with, because I know it's getting late and stuff, but I want to ask you, tell me a little bit about your work with On It. How long have you been at it? What has been the sort of the primary motivation? Um, any direction you want to take it? Yeah, you know, it's been... Um, it's been a really amazing experience in my life and it's been something you know I grew up as an athlete and uh, my stepmother was actually um, one of the top kind of nutritional nutraceutical doctors for a lot of basketball teams mm -hmm. a lot of Pat Riley's teams Lakers in the 80s Knicks in the 90s heat in the thousands and um, 
she would give me all kinds of little stuff to tweak my performance from bee pollen to different herbs and things. So I got to, (laughs) yeah, I was a total guinea pig. And sometimes it would end in total disaster and I'd leave practice like puking. Like, oh, what did you give me? That was terrible. She's like, oh yeah, yeah, we won't do that one anymore. And other times like, man, I felt good. I was like, I was running suicides and I was just asking for more. He's like, all right, we'll take note of that. And so I had that paradigm in my head and then, the whole kind of path just came together. I was always very passionate about taking care of myself and my body and, and finding these different tweaks to help optimize my performance. And then I started the marketing company, learned a lot of tough lessons, a lot of failures, a lot of stupid ideas, and mostly stupid ideas, really. You know, I mean, nail polish company is I still get shit for. And there's like, and that was even my fully my idea. Right. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of other companies with other people's ideas that I tried my hardest and learned a lot. Right. And then, so I eventually kind of figured that game out. And then, um, you know, started getting some momentum going. And then uh, it was a conversation with Joe that we started talking about Alpha Brain. Um, well, it wasn't Alpha Brain yet. Uh-huh. Um, started talking about a cognitive enhancer. And, you know, I just knew that I could apply the knowledge that I had, the resources that I had, and just trial and error. Right. You know, I trusted my body to be able to feel what was good and what was not. And then so I created something based on the research and advice from different doctors. And what I felt went through you know, 10 iterations myself. And then finally I felt like I had something good enough and got it out and, you know, it started to blow people's minds a little bit. And wow. I was like, holy shit, we really got something here. And um, from there it's been applying the same method to different targets. And it's really been a dream sitting on top of this wild ride. I bet. You know, it's, um, we've, made, we've been faced with adversity and always made choices just to choose integrity, you know. And so it's actually, uh, you know, one of the reasons I got this, tattoo here is based on uh you know uh, the story of Cyrano de Bergerac you ever uh-huh. you read the play right. you know and at the end in his in his you know death rows um he says his white plume his panache will sweep the gates of heaven you know because his life was lived impeccably nice and then that's you know how I've dedicated to live my life not only through my company but through my own personal life right and um and really, it's been rewarded. You know, there's some people who are always going to attack it and always try and tear it down. But I know in my heart that I've made every choice that I could to make an impeccable, yep. you know, company. I've, I've fucked up. You know, it's not, it doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. But when you do, you say, hey, I'm sorry. You know, I've sent out a couple of those emails to my customers, customers listening like, hey, I'm sorry. We screwed up. <laughs> yeah. Here. We'll do our yeah, best to make it up for you. Yeah. And we'll do everything we can. And that's just seemed to be embraced by people yeah. and rewarded and it's been really encouraging to have this positive feedback from the universe where i really feel like you know i've been doing my best to put something good in the universe and goddamn if the universe hasn't been kind that's you know? awesome and it's been a it's been a real blessing so um you know i think uh i think the advice that i would give is you know even if you don't know what you're doing just practice being excellent Mm-hmm. You know, practice being excellent at whatever you do. Cyrano says, um, I was once troubled by the many paths that laid before me, so I decided to be admirable at everything. <laughs> and so just fucking be admirable at whatever it is you're doing, yeah. and eventually you'll find what your passion is or what it is. Maybe it's not even with your work. Maybe you're writing after work sure. or creating art after work. Maybe sure. the work is just a means to an end. Everybody has different situations, but practice being excellent at something. And hell, if you want to be hired, if you're excellent at like three things, 
I'm, you're gonna have a good chance to even working for me. Like right. it doesn't even matter what I'm hiring you for. But let's say you're like the world master at darts and happen to be the world limerick competitor master. <laughs> I'm gonna look at you and be like, damn. Well, he's a master at two things. He could probably learn how to do sales. Right. <laughs> you know? So you know, be great at something, and, right. and you'll catch people's attention. I love that. You know yeah. what? We could go on, but this is as good as it gets. I don't think this. Thank you, Daniel. This is beautiful. I love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> So for um, where people can find you, your podcast, your yeah. Twitter, everything. What? So my Twitter is at Warrior Poet US, just like it sounds, at Warrior Poet US. Facebook is the same, facebook.com slash Warrior Poet US. I'm really putting a lot of attention on my Facebook lately. Got nice. a bunch of cool posts coming out there. A lot of them coming out of Daniele's book, since that's the most current <laughs> book. You, and then I also you. have a blog at... Uh, warriorpoet.us. Okay. Whoever has .com is just squatting on it, and I can't bastard. get it from a bastard, I know. But for right now, it's warriorpoet.us. And uh, and then I have a Warrior Poet podcast. We obviously have your episode. It's going to be the latest one up there. And then, um, you know, if you're looking to take care of your body and mind, then um, go to onnit.com, O-N-N-I-T.com. And, Love uh, it. Check out our stuff. I'll put the link in and uh, all of this stuff right down. On. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. This and thank awesome. you for everything you do. Like, as I said, I feel so comforted knowing that you're out there writing because it's like things I never have to do in my life. It's like, perfect, a book on religion. I don't have to do that Done. one. Scratch that <laughs> off. Scratch it off. So you're accomplishing two things with everything you do. And I really <laughs> appreciate that more. Uh, anything you want to roll with? No, perfect. With Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, thank man. you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon.